Well, good morning, everybody. So good to worship with you. What a powerful worship set that was. I felt like during that last song where we were proclaiming how worthy God is, that God was saying there's some people here who maybe personally don't feel worthy or maybe even feel worthless. And I think the other flip side of that song, God is worthy and he came into the mess of this world and gave up his life so that we could be made worthy, so that our praise matters. And so whether you came in today with a a huge burden, something that, you know, is just kind of just with you and is kind of weighing you down, maybe you feel unworthy, maybe you feel worthless. The message of the cross is that because of what Jesus did, you are worthy. You are worthwhile. When God thinks about you, when he looks at you, he sees his beloved child. So I don't know who that's for today, but maybe that's you. Maybe you came in today with some of those burdens on your heart. Just know that God is looking at you with his favor and his grace this morning. Now, a few years ago, or actually more than a few years ago, Lexi and I went on a trip to the East Coast. We started in New York City, and then we went to Boston, and when we were in New York, we picked up some tickets to the Yankees game, just to kind of go check out the old Yankee Stadium, and it was an awesome experience, had a great time. So when we got to Boston, we thought, well, we should go check out Fenway and go see the Red Sox play. So we went down a little bit early and we tried to find tickets and we found out that the tickets were going for four or five times face value, which was way out of our price range. So we didn't know what to do, figured, you know, maybe it's just not going to work out. Well, somebody saw us and they said, you know, if you go stand in this line behind the stadium, about 15 minutes before the game, they're going to sell off all the tickets that were turned back for face value. So we said, well, let's give it a shot. So we got in line and stood there and we talked to some people around us and we just kind of soaked in the atmosphere. But we noticed something. After a little while, there were random people running down the street past us. Kind of made note of it, kind of wondered what was going on. And then it just kind of picked up energy. More and more people were running past us. And eventually it was like 100 people running past us. And so we looked at that and then what did we do? We started running, right? We had no idea why. We're like, let's follow the crowd. And so we ran to the other end of the street, kind of still behind the stadium. And suddenly it all made sense. There were some duck boats coming down the road. And we suddenly put it together. It was the Boston Celtics who were celebrating winning the NBA championship. And so for whatever it kind of all figured out, we ended up in the very front row. And so we were like two feet away from Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, and the rest of the team. I was giving high fives to KG, who's always been my favorite NBA player. There's a picture I took. It was an incredible celebration. There was all this energy. There was all this excitement. And we were a part of it. And, you know, I think on Palm Sunday, there was a similar energy. And there was a similar excitement. And there were people coming from all over Jerusalem running because they heard Jesus was coming to town. And as Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a baby donkey, the crowd went nuts and he was hailed as a king. 
Now, there are many symbols in our culture that pretty much everybody knows. Like when we see these symbols, we instantly know what they symbolize. For instance, if you walk into somebody's house and you see a bunch of stockings hung above a fireplace and they're full of presents, well, we would all say it's Christmas, right? If you see a bunch of little kids dressed up in random costumes going door to door, ringing the doorbell, we would all say, well, obviously it's Halloween. If we see, you know, someone's house with a bowl full of jelly beans and some chocolate rabbits, we probably say it must be Easter. There are certain symbols that pretty much everybody knows. But if you were to see a kid dressed up like an elf going door to door with a stocking on October 31st, passing out jelly beans, you'd probably wonder what's going on, right? It's a bunch of symbols that are very familiar, but they don't go together. It doesn't make any sense. You might hop on Google and say, what am I missing? What's going on? Is this a new holiday? Is there some new movement in our country that's very bizarre? The reason I share that is on Palm Sunday, there were a bunch of very familiar symbols that, were co- that came together to communicate a powerful truth. These were symbols that were never mixed together before. But when Jesus came into town, suddenly the message became clear. And so we're going to read this morning the account in John's Gospel of Palm Sunday. It's John chapter 12, starting with verse 12. I'd invite you to turn there in your Bible, Bible app, whatever you use to read scripture. John chapter 12, verse 12. And it reads, The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Pause there. When it says the feast, it's referring to Passover. And we'll talk about that in a moment. They took palm branches and they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him And that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. And so the Pharisees said to one another, see this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. see, it's Passover time, the most important festival and feast on the Jewish calendar. It's at the heart of Jewish life. Now, you might remember Passover celebrates the Exodus when God led his people out of slavery in Egypt. And people from all over the country would all journey to Jerusalem, the capital city, to celebrate this feast together. Now scholars believe 
that two to three million people were in Jerusalem at this given time. There was excitement. There were family reunions. It was a huge celebration and a remembrance of what God had done for them. Now, Passover is full of symbolism. All sorts of things that communicate a truth about God, a reminder to people so that they never forget what God had done for them. If you've ever been to a Seder meal, you know that all along the way, there are all sorts of things that God commands them to do so that they never forget his goodness and his provision. As you sit at a Seder meal, you might have some bitter herbs that remind you of the bitterness of being in slavery. There's salt water. It, it reminds us of the tears that were shed as they were slaves in Egypt. And at a centerpiece, there's a, a lamb that served, that symbolizes the sacrificial lamb, where the blood was taken and it was put on the doorposts of the homes to show their trust in God's promises. And so every year they'd get together and they'd tell the story. It's commanded that the parents would share it with their kids, that it would be at the centerpiece of their faith so that they never forget. A yearly reminder that the blood of the lamb, the trust in God's promises, provided their deliverance and their freedom from slavery. So these symbols were at the core of who they were. But then along comes John chapter 1, verse 29, and it's when John the Baptist is down by the river and he sees Jesus for the first time and he points him out to everyone. He says, look over there. Look at this man. And he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now it's a familiar symbol. They've thought about it a lot, but they've never put it together with a person. So in confusion, they file it away. Not exactly sure what John's talking about. He's kind of an odd duck anyway. Now on Palm Sunday, the perfect Passover lamb is entering the city. On his way to be slain, to shed his blood once and for all to provide freedom and deliverance from our sins. But again, it's, it's mostly lost on the crowd at this point because they have other plans and they have other expectations and they have what they believe is the right story of how God will intervene in the world. So we've got all these Passover symbols, but it doesn't stop there because Palm Sunday is also full of symbols that refer back to Hanukkah. Now, you may or may not be familiar with the whole story of Hanukkah, but a brief version of it is that Judas Maccabeus, a very powerful warrior, delivers God's people from their pagan invaders, and he cleansed the temple in 164 BC. And suddenly God's people are free, and they're able to go into the temple to worship him like they had done in the past, to celebrate this mighty warrior, his followers entered the city and they waved palm branches in celebration. This is when Judas Maccabeus establishes a dynasty of kings over Israel for the next century and a half. And so in very much the same way as the people in Jerusalem 
in the first century come and they wave palm branches as Jesus enters on a donkey. It's a celebration that a king is coming. Not only that, but the Gospel of Matthew says that people take off their cloaks and they lay them down in the road. And remember, they don't have very nicely paved streets. They're full of dust and mud and dirt. And the only reason you would put your cloak down and that you would cut branches off a tree is not just because your friend is coming or a family member is coming. No, it signifies that royalty is coming. You would only do this to celebrate a victorious king returning from battle. And so you see on that Palm Sunday, Jesus brings together these powerful symbols of Passover and Hanukkah, something that people had never thought about before, but it communicates this important truth. Jesus is the true king coming to claim his throne and not just that, this is the moment when God would finally set his people free, just like he had done in the past. Jesus is the true king, coming at last to set his people free. What an amazing day. Now there was one more really important bit of symbolism in the Palm Sunday story. Jesus is riding on a donkey. It might be one of the most familiar images. I remember back as a Sunday school kid, it was something that you know, I just kind of puzzled over. Why would Jesus ride on this little donkey? Well, it communicated a ton to that crowd on the first Palm Sunday. And we can't miss what it's communicating today. Because it also communicates that truth we were just talking about. Jesus is the true king coming to set his people free. Now it all begins with a prophecy from the book of Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 where it says rejoice greatly O daughter of Zion shout O daughter of Jerusalem behold your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation lowly and riding on a donkey. Now, if anyone would stop to think about that, it doesn't quite make sense. I mean, that's not the kind of king we're expecting. That's not at all how a king rolls into town. It would be kind of like a king or a president today coming upon a parade on a trike. It just wouldn't happen, right? But because it was a prophecy, people just kind of put it aside. Maybe it was filed away in the back of their minds. But now here's Jesus fulfilling that prophecy and really it's a satire on triumphant entries victors of battle don't come into town on the back of a donkey Jesus is the king of Israel but he's not at all like Judas Maccabeus who came into town on a war horse and he's not at all like King Solomon who said to have 12,000 stallions in his fields Jesus is on a baby donkey which is comical. The Gospel of Mark even says that this baby donkey is unbroken. Now, I'm not an expert on farm animals, but I'm told that riding a baby donkey who is unbroken would be next to impossible. And add on to that all the commotion 
palm branches in the air, people yelling and praising and screaming, it would be humanly impossible to ride a baby donkey in those, con in those conditions. But even despite all the commotion, this young baby donkey stays perfectly calm in the hands of the Messiah, who is able to calm the storms. And he's able to speak peace over all of creation. You see, Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. It's not a kingdom of conflict and violence. It's a kingdom of peace. And he's coming to rule and to save his people. But he doesn't do it forcefully. He doesn't take it by power. Instead, it comes through surrender and humility and sacrifice. He comes to power through giving up his life and giving up his power. He brings triumph and victory through weakness and sacrifice. Now, this is not at all what the crowd is expecting. This isn't the story that they've been sharing. It's not their hopes and their dreams. And so it's lost on them. But you see, what this means for us as we put the story together, it means to come into Jesus' kingdom takes surrender. It takes repentance. We can't be saved through our good works. We can't be saved through our own power and our own might. Because that's not how Jesus does things at all. He doesn't say, you've got to figure this out under your own strength. He doesn't say, you've got to figure out how to save yourself. No, instead, he says, surrender to me. Come humbly. Acknowledge your weakness. Depend on me. Jesus says, you will be saved in and despite your weakness. And I'm going to model this for you on Good Friday. You see, this is a free gift of grace. Even with all of our sinfulness and our brokenness, his kingdom is perfectly democratic. It's available to every single person who's willing to submit and surrender to our humble king. Now, this all sounds good. Maybe you've grown up with these kind of stories and it, it doesn't sound that out there. But to the first century crowd who's there at Palm Sunday, this is not at all what they're expecting. Because you see, if you go on in the story of Passover, what happens after they put the blood on the doorposts is that the angel of death came and it passed over all the homes with the blood. But to all the homes who did not have blood on the doorposts, it entered in and killed the firstborn son. All of these Egyptians lost their firstborn son. And so the crowd there on Palm Sunday is hoping that Jesus is just another angel of death. He's going to come and he's going to show the Romans who's boss. He's going to come and punish them and they're going to get revenge and everything's going to be made right. It's time for the Romans to suffer just like the Egyptians did. But you see, they're wrong. It's not the right story. Because Jesus comes to be the sacrificial lamb, not the angel of death. He is the lamb whose blood is shed to set us free. And it's not the way it's supposed to be. I mean, the people already have their preferred narrative. They've already got the story figured out. You know, oftentimes when we go to God, 
and we ask him for something, we go and we say, this is what I want. Here's what I expect of you. You know, God, I want you to give me what I want because I've already thought this through, so just don't think too deeply and just give me what I want. Or maybe, you know, God, I already know the best course of action, so if you could just hurry up and bless it, we can all move on with our lives. I mean, be honest, you've done this before. God, I've got plan A figured out, and just in case, I've also got plan B and C, so just choose one of those. And to that, God says, I've got plan Z that you haven't even considered, but this is what you need. It's not even on your radar, but you're going to have to trust me. I love Ephesians 3, 21, or 20 and 21, that says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is work, at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout the generations forever and ever. He's able to do immeasurably, infinitely more than we could ever ask. You've got three plans. He's got something so much better. And it's even better than anything you could ever, ever imagine. So what did the crowd think they needed on that Palm Sunday? I mean, they were waiting for the Messiah to come and reestablish the dynasty of King David. Hosanna is a term that means save us. But it's not in the term of salvation like we talk about in the church. They're simply saying, save us politically. Save us militarily. Bring us back to the glory days of our warrior king, David. They wanted a king to bring judgment upon the people that are oppressing them, mistreating them, the Romans. They believed the Romans were ruining the world. But you see, what they needed, what God knew they needed, and what he knows we need, is someone who can bear the judgment that we deserve. Because it's us, you and me, that's actually ruining the world that God created. And every single person in all of history shares responsibility for this. Every single one of us. What we really need, our most desperate need, is a savior and a redeemer. You see, God was focused on coming back into the mess of this world to rescue us from sin and death. He's focused on coming into this world to end sin and death so that he won't have to end us. And so Palm Sunday is a vivid example of how far apart what we think we need and what God knows we need can be. I'll say that one more time. Palm Sunday is a vivid example of how far apart what we think we need and what God knows we need can be. What we think we need is so often short-sighted and trivial and shallow, but what God does in the short term can often feel confusing and disappointing and frustrating. But we need to keep in mind when we come to him, when we claim his promises, he will give us what we really need. And in the long run, 
he will exceed all of our expectations, all of our plans, all of our stories, all of our desires. I heard this truth one time. God always gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything that he does. God always gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he does. I think it's good every so often to take an inventory of our hearts, to look at our motives for following Jesus. I mean, are we just going along for the ride, expecting that Jesus is going to be like a big genie in the sky and just give us whatever we want? Are we willing to worship him, but only as long as it seems to be he's doing what we want him to do? Because remember, by Friday, just a few days later, that same crowd that's exalting him in the street is the same crowd that is chanting, crucify him, kill him on Good Friday. Do we just look at Jesus as someone who's supposed to give us a comfortable religious experience? Or are we willing to have him come and turn all our expectations and all our hopes and dreams upside down? On Palm Sunday, Jesus radically redefines what a true king is like and what his mission is. So are we ready to not just join in the celebration of Palm Sunday, but also to now follow him into Holy Week? into trouble and controversy and trial and death. I mean, it's one thing to join the party. That's easy, right? I mean, we all love parties. It's one thing to celebrate Palm Sunday. It's another to actually take up our cross and follow him like he commands us to do. It takes sacrifice. It takes humility. Especially when we know where crosses end up, right? It always ends in a death. And that's where Jesus ends up, dead on a cross. But the thing is, we have the benefit today of knowing the whole story. We're able to see the whole picture. And so this week, we're going to trace the journey that Jesus took on our behalf. From celebration, to exaltation, to condemnation, to execution but then to resurrection and to victory on Easter Sunday. This is the most important, the most impactful week in all of history. And we get to see how God puts together the puzzle pieces in the perfect way, in a powerful way. But you see, there's so many people in our world today who don't have all the pieces of the puzzle put together. There are so many people who don't see the whole picture I mean, sure, people have heard about Jesus. Some of them can quote some things he said. But they don't understand that he is the true king who's come to set his people free. People might be familiar with a few of the symbols, but they don't really realize what it means for them personally. I mean, the Palm Sunday part makes sense, right? It's like the Celtics coming on a parade. Who doesn't love a parade? But there's so much more to the story. There's a death. 
that has to take place before there can be a resurrection. And so as you hold your palm branch this morning, allow yourself to be fully immersed in the story. Realize the powerful statement that Jesus is making because Jesus went these incredible lengths to demonstrate, to show his love for you and for me. He shows us that this world is in desperate need of a savior. This world needs its true king. And God was willing to enter the mess in the person of Jesus Christ to be our savior and our king. But the thing is, church, he established his kingdom through humility and sacrifice, not through power and violence. And ultimately, it cost him his life on the cross where he made a perfect sacrifice and he shed his blood for you and for me. And that's good news for our entire world. But yet so many people today don't have any idea what this means. They don't understand why this is such good news. I mean, people get so caught up in the way they want things to be that they miss out on this incredible story that God has provided what we exactly need. So there's one more thing. As a church, as the body of Christ, we are the ones that God is depending on to get this story out. We are the ones that he wants to use to explain the meaning to every person in this world. See, Paul says we are called to be ambassadors and that God is making his plea through us that he wants to reconcile the world to himself through Jesus. So think about what that means. If you are an ambassador, if God wants to use you to get this story out there, it means you're a missionary. And you don't even have to buy a plane ticket. You don't need a passport. It actually means you're going on a mission trip this week. A mission trip to your school, to your place of work, to your neighborhood, maybe even to your own home. You're going on a mission trip. And God is going to put people in front of you that he wants you to share the good news with. Now maybe this is as simple as an invitation. An invitation for them to come to worship with you on Easter Sunday. Maybe it's an invitation to sit down for coffee where you can share what your faith means to you. But you're going on a mission trip. Don't miss out on the opportunity to be a part of what God is doing to save and redeem this lost world. So when you wave your palm branch as we close this service today, remember the incredible truth that Jesus is the true king and he's come at last to set his people free. Amen? Let's stand and pray.